0: Hello and welcome to In The Lane, now partnered in our very first episode with Five Reasons Sports and the Five Reasons Sports Network. Make sure that all of you are listening and subscribing and liking and commenting to everything Five Reasons so you make sure that you continue to get my content. I am joined by a super special guest on Culture Day, mind you. Udonis Haslam Culture Day. There you go. The Concordia captain himself.
1: Tony (laughs) Fiorentino. Say hello, Tony. What's going on? How you doing, Tony? How's it going? You got a good first name, by the way.
0: Yeah, I I appreciate you. I was going to get the the mustache going, but I just couldn't grow it in time. Okay. So I want to start there. Uh, You and and shout outs to Ira Winderman for an article that I'm going to be referencing a lot. but. You're Concordia captain, right? You're a freshman. You're already getting into basketball. That, that love of the game has started early for you. When did that switch flip where it's like, this is going to be something I'm, I'm into. I'm, I'm going to be a ball player. I'm going to practice. I'm doing the whole thing.
1: Well, the great story is I lived in New York, Mount Vernon, New York, right outside the Bronx. And in the winter, I was a baseball player. I love baseball. Minor leagues, little leagues. I was about 11 years old, I think. And I went to a Catholic grammar school and I had a brother a year younger. So we went to Catholic grammar school together. My father said to me one day, this way back now, um, I'd like you to go to the CYO, the Catholic Youth Organization Basketball uh, League that they have. That's on, there was a gym on, the, on the, the top floor of the school, the elementary school I went to. And I said, I don't want to go. It was in the middle of the winter. He didn't want us to sit around all year or, or, you know, because we we can't play baseball in New York in the winter. It's too cold. So he said, I want, I want you to go. And I said, I don't want to go. He goes, you're going to go. And I started crying. He goes, look, you go twice. If you don't like it, then you don't have to do it. It Wound up being my life. I loved it right away. Um, My high school is one of the, uh, one of the best public high schools in the country for basketball, Mount Vernon high school. We've got nine players play in the nba i played on the team as a senior i played baseball and basketball at mount vernon then i went back to coach them after college and uh, i had the privilege of coaching rodney mccray who played in the nba 10 11 years one of them was with the bulls where he won a ring with michael jordan um he played at louisville won the national championship was on the olympic team it, it all started way back when i was 11 or 12 years old and then when i got out of college i started coaching baseball. But my, my eye was on basketball. And then I gave up coaching baseball at Malvern to coach basketball.
0: And I do want to get to that. Uh, but before we get there, you met Ron during that time that you were playing yes. ball,
1: right? Yeah, I was a freshman at Concordia College, which is in Bronxville, New York. It's not far from Malvern High School. And I went to the junior college there, Concordia Junior College. And one night, they were building a new little field house for us. And matter of fact, I had the first shot. I made the first shot in that fieldhouse. To this day, you know that was way back six, 1967. I made the first shot in that gym. I'm, I'm the only one who remembers that. While they were building the fieldhouse, it was in the fall. I had a car. I was a day student. There were guys that were on my team that were in the dorm. We went looking for a court to play. We couldn't play at the fieldhouse. So we're driving around. Eastchester High School is just north of Bronxville. Ron Rothstein was just out of college, you know, a few years out of college. And he was coaching and teaching at Eastchester High School. And he opened the gym at night to make a few extra dollars. So we see the light on in the gym, pull up, go inside. We said, "You introduce ourselves? He introduced himself. We said, can we play? He goes, sure. And so he and I wind up on the same team. And then I go back door. He throws me a bounce pass. He was a point guard at Rhode Island, a very good point guard. And I, you know, and I made the statement years later where I didn't realize that he assisted me on that play. I didn't realize I was going to be assisting him in the NBA one day. It's an interesting it's even, story.
0: It is. And that dynamic follows you guys, that point guard shooter dynamic. It follows you throughout your whole deal. Yeah. We worked five-star
1: I... camp together, you know, in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. When I came back from college to coach, Ron was coaching Eastchester. And we would go to the Howie Garfinkel's five-star camp, the best camp in the country every year. We went up to Pennsylvania and we, when we worked together in the camp.
0: You guys became such close friends, even though you had to coach against each other. Ron, my one of my favorite Ron quotes here about you is he called your time a reign of terror. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we were, He was at New Rochelle High School for two years. I was the assistant coach. Mm. Then he went back to coach at Eastchester They're a smaller enrollment school, so we never played each other. Me as a head coach, him as a head coach. I was the assistant. Um, But, you know, we had, like I said, we had a lot of talent at Mount Vernon, nine guys for a public high school, four square miles is the the city of Mount Vernon. And we've had nine guys play in the NBA, Gus Williams being the best, the wizard, way back won a championship. Probably, you know, people are now trying to promote him for the Hall of Fame. He had a great career. Um, so uh Ron and I did compete a little bit against each other, him as a head coach, me as an assistant. And um we won a lot of games with me as a head coach. We were we were pretty good.
0: 182 is the number I
1: 182 have. and 21. Yeah, we won 90%. And you don't do that without talent, without dedicated kids. And and I also had the advantage of working five-star, knowing Ron, knowing Yubi Brown, Mike Fratello, Chuck Daly, all those guys. I met them all at five-star camp. I remember when I knew Rick Patino before he was Rick Patino and I met Calipari before he was Calipari, you know, quote, and um, they all worked the camp. So he took a little bit from everybody, but yeah. our, our our whole program at Mount Vernon was based on defense, which was a lot of the UB Brown stuff.
0: So you have one specific night Ron. though, where Ron has a better Ron. team, at least on paper, and you guys are going Ron. in as underdogs and uh, if I got this right, you call him? You call him the night before the game to ask him about the thought process of being an underdog?
1: I did. You know, I called him a couple of times. We had played Lincoln High School, which ran the wheel, which was a slowdown game. Mm. And um, he told me, I had to learn what the wheel was before we could defend it. So yeah, I went over to see him one day at lunch and he showed it to me. So he gets a, he gets a, a, an assist on that. And then one time, um, you know, usually... We were ranked one, two, three in the state, the, the right. eight years that I coached at Mount Vernon. And we were always the team that was supposed to win. And then there was a couple of times when we played where we were the underdog and we weren't used to doing that. So I wanted to know what the mindset was of a coach approaching his team for being an underdog. And Ron at Eastchester high school, my brother had a great line about Ron's team one year. We were sitting there watching Ron's team play and he's coaching his butt off, great coach, down 20 to a bad team. He had bad players at that year. That, and and my brother said, you know, if Patton had Ron's kids in World War II, we'd all be driving Volkswagens. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> and but you could tell Ron could coach, you know. So I knew he understood what it was like to be the underdog and he helped me prepare for a game.
0: Yeah, and he, he continues your guys' dynamic. and he, he, What's his pitch? You're, you're getting called to be an assistant, and I don't think you're quite happy with your time coaching the college oh. ranks, but to, what, what did he say to you to bring you to the Miami Heat?
1: Well, yeah, I was, going, I was at Iona College for two years, and I wasn't very happy for whatever reason. I was going back to Mount Vernon High School to teach. They were nice enough to keep a position open for me, My assistant coach was the head coach. So I wasn't going, I wasn't going to get the team back. Maybe not right away, maybe eventually. And then, um, Ron, uh, in July, I was at five-star camp in Pittsburgh. Somebody told me, you got a phone call downstairs. This was really before cell phones. Everybody had cell phones. And I get on the phone and he says, look, um, would you like to come to Miami with me? And I said, I'll be there yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, I, you know, I went upstairs, told Howie Goldfinkel, look, I got to go to Miami. Uh, I may get the assistant coaching job there. And, um, so I went to Miami and it worked out and, uh, I'm still here <laughs> 33 yeah. years later. That was and, 1988.
0: <laughs> and you're facing a league at that time. That's God, I think the Lakers are coming off back to backs at that point. You. Yes. You have Pat Riley still in the league and Michael Jordan on the ascent, Larry Bird. Larry
1: Bird. Yeah. It was interesting because I told Ronnie, I said, look, uh, last two years ago, I was trying to win another state championship at Mount Vernon. Now you're telling me we got to figure out a way to stop Larry Bird. Yeah. he meant that facetiously because nobody stopped Larry Bird, you know? So now trying to win a state championship didn't seem so hard. (laughs) You, you try what, to stop Larry Bird.
0: <laughs> my, one of my favorite Bird stories is he would tell his opponent what he was going to do coming down the floor and just do it. Every right, you know, what he was Yeah, do yeah what's a do great it.
1: story with Miami was um he comes to Miami to play in the late '80s, and the Yankees used to have their training camp in Fort Lauderdale, I think. And Don Mattingly is from Indiana, and Don Mattingly was arguably the best hitter in baseball at that time. So. Uh Bird comes to Miami and somebody says to Larry Bird, Don Mattingly is here and he wants to meet you. And Larry Bird said he should want to meet me. <laughs> 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 so there was that that confidence bordering on arrogance, you know, whatever, whatever way you want to put it, but he backed it all up, boy. So <laughs> Larry Bird did. And I'm a big but- Yankee fan. I wanted to meet Mattingly. <laughs>
0: So you have guys like that, and you're looking at the league as stacked as it is, and you have a team with, I think, um, six rookies on Yes. it. Uh, yeah. what's, what's the real philosophy in the coaching's room? Is, is it more like, uh, let's go out there, compete hard, and we'll build the team the right way? How, how, was, how was the plan at that initial moment on building a franchise?
1: We came into the league with Charlotte. The following year, Minnesota and Orlando came in in 89. So they left four teams in the league in two years. Mm. And um, the, uh, the, our approach was different than Charlotte's. They wanted to win right, right away. We wanted to build from the bottom up. Sheffield, Louis Sheffield and Billy Cunningham were running the franchise, the Hall of Fame of Billy Cunningham. And they wanted to start from, the scrat- from scratch and build the program from there. So you try winning with six rookies in the NBA against the likes of a Jordan and you know the first year they put us in the Midwest division if i recall we played three times in utah and salt lake city three times in denver uh, we were in that midwest division and we we were on the west coast like five six times you usually you go three times to you know to play in california and in portland It was seattle was at, had a franchise at the time it's now oklahoma city we, had, we, we flew more miles that year. And I, and me, as, an, as the second assistant, I also scouted some games. So here I was traveling a little bit on my own while the team was traveling on the West Coast to stay one game ahead of them sometimes. Got a great story about that, too. We, um, uh, David Letterman used to uh, make fun of the Heat. He had a skit going about the Miami Heat because, you know, we lost our first 17 games yeah. that, that year. And we almost won the second game of the year in Dallas when he had a real good team. After that, we couldn't win. And so we won in uh, we beat the Clippers, stopped the 17 game winning streak, uh, losing streak. We, uh, Ron, Ron Rothstein had a, had a had like a cult following in Iowa somewhere, a, a fan club that was that was rooting for us, right? So I had to go to Phoenix to scout the Suns while the team went on and played somewhere else that night. And I, that night I'm watching David Letterman and he comes on and he says, oh, by the way, the Heat won last night. And uh, David Stern has ordered drug tests for both teams. <laughs> <laughs> Mocking that. We, and we won by one. Norm Nixon missed a jump shot at the buzzer. So that was Ron Rossi's first win as a head coach in the NBA. After losing 17 in a row. Well, so, you,
0: you built on it. it you, yes. You made you made some great. So you You bring in. A lot of guys along the way, the Bimbo Coles, the Tim Hardaway's, uh, the Alonzo's. Well, one, to, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: You start to transition into uh, building an identity. Now, I know that Pat Riley is uh, this rock, this touch point for the idea of culture, but you guys played the right way hard and aggressively before that, too. Tell me about what it was like trying to breed some of that into a franchise that just
1: got created. Well there was a lot of excitement in Miami mainly because now they had an NBA franchise and there were obviously there were a lot of northeasterners here in South Florida. And what was happening I think the first second year maybe maybe by the middle of the second year they were really coming to the games to watch the teams from the cities they came from. <laughs> you know, I was a Nick fan growing up and then, once I got to Miami that stopped. Okay, I'm not a Nick fan anymore. But they were going to see all these great players play in the arena, not necessarily the Heat. And what they loved about the Heat is that they scrapped for everything. Ron Rothstein was an outstanding – he was the perfect guy to start a franchise with because our guys played hard every night. They were defense-oriented. They played well together. He, he, he's one of the great teachers in the NBA. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of his colleagues in the league realize the average fan doesn't know how great a teacher Ron Rothstein is. And so the franchise was started on the right foot. And then after a while, the fans then started to get behind the team and for not just they're not just coming to the route for the, for the other teams that they were used to seeing and growing up with. There's one great story about it where we, we played Portland and we lost and they had a ton of free throws and we had very few and Ron finally exploded and got mad at the officials and got a tech, got a tech. So he had to pay a fine. And the next game, this guy, Heath fan comes over to Ron Rothstein with a bunch of bills and he gives him the Ron outside the the, the, uh, training room. I'm standing there with Ron Culp, the trainer and Ron Rothstein and myself. Ron goes, what's this? He goes, we agree with you. The officials were not doing a good job. We took up a collection in the stands (laughs) to pay for your fine. So Ron says, I can't take this. The guy goes, you got to take it. So. They put it in the Heat charitable fund. Ron Ron Doni gave it, you know, to the Heat charitable fund. But That's it's a incredible. great story where the fans now were really behind the team and rooting for Ron Rothstein.
0: You know, it, I hear how much passion you have just talking about Ron, and and this is someone who was best man at your wedding. Yes. Uh, and you yeah. were at his son's bar mitzvah. How how's your relationship? Now, I mean, uh, you guys have a, a little more distance than you had when you were assistant coach. No, and it's cool.
1: You know what? He's like an older brother. I'm the oldest one in my family. I have two brothers. I have one that was one has is passed, but I had two brothers and a sister, and I'm the oldest. Ron's like an older brother to me. We're like family, and um, we, you know, I I I, I was go over his house every Christmas for a Christmas dinner, um, so I'm really uh, his kids call me uncle. Okay, his grandkids call me uncle, right? Um, so we have a great relationship, and I, I I just I like the fact that he's reinvented himself on that pre uh, halftime and post game show that he does with Jason Jackson. He's great on that show. He fans are really missing out if you don't watch the halftime and post game show because Ron breaks down plays and shows you the, the play from a coaching perspective. Fans, I'm telling you, fans, no way fans can know this stuff. They, they, they what Ron's giving them because it's brilliant stuff about how this play evolved and why this play worked, why it didn't work. And it, it's just brilliant stuff.
0: You you don't think sometimes he gets a little abusive with his producer? Sometimes he yells stop oh, oh, a no. little <laughs> stop a stop little aggressive. Stop, aggr- it. stop yeah,
1: it. No, <laughs> you know, so we he um it's like a, a spot it's a, a timing type thing that's why he's got to do that and then you know they, yeah, for he sure. means it cool he means it good They, that's how they take it. it's the way he means it
0: so you're you're starting to win games now as a coach all right we we've at this point we're we're bringing alonzo morning to the heat what what's happening now inside the rooms how what's what's the thought process how are we going to start to change to make this team a playoff team and possibly compete for a championship. There's one year where that could have happened, but, you know, uh, possibly push for a championship. What are we doing differently now?
1: Well, Mickey Harrison did the right thing when he took over sole ownership of the team and running of the team uh, after seven years. And he hired Pat Riley, the best guy in the business. Yeah. And he gave him free reign. You know, you, you're the, you're the president of the team. He puts the team together. He's not just coaching the team. He's also getting the players to come. And the first thing he did right away, I was very appreciative because he kept me on his staff. I was an assistant coach for seven years. How Riley comes, I I know him. He doesn't know me. He was nice enough to keep me on the staff as an assistant. And now the, the, the feeling is in the franchise, here we got a guy that's won four NBA championships as a coach, all right? He had, let's see, he had six NBA championships altogether he had six rings when he came to Miami and so he knows what it takes to win a championship and the first move he makes he gets Alonzo Mourning he trades for Alonzo Mourning now he hated to trade Glenn Rice he tried like heck to keep Glenn Rice and trade Mourning but there's no way that Charlotte was going to make the trade without Glenn Rice in there so we get Alonzo Mourning and now we've got the backbone and the and the and the uh the, 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 foundation of a great, of a, of a franchise. And, you know, Pat Riley coached three of the greatest centers in the history of the NBA. You know, he coached uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Patrick Ewing, and now Alonzo Mourning. And so he, he had a, a, a center, if you want low post oriented offense that he could run around his big man. We didn't have that before, before he got Alonzo Mourning. And so it, it, It raised the expectations, especially when he was on Mickey Arison's ship and he said, "Um, my vision is a parade down Biscayne Boulevard.
0: Biscayne Boulevard. Yes,
1: sir. That's what he said. Right. Nineteen ninety five when he came. Mm -hmm. And so uh, so it took like uh, then 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 uh, in February. Before the trading deadline, he gets Tim Hardaway. You know. Tim Hardaway has been put up for the hall of fame. Uh, I had a great career. And so now we're on our way. And then the following year, his second year with us, we won 61 games.
0: And we, we lost hard... to the
1: bulls in the Eastern finals.
0: Yeah. We don't talk about that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Is it hard? You, you were around guys like, uh, Rory and Bimbo. And and these are yeah. your players that you helped cultivate. And R- Riley had a vision, just like you said, and he was going to execute it. But you had to watch guys like that go uh, to get the hardaways. And I, I wonder how much of a human element plays into that. Do you ever kind of feel like, oh, we're making the wrong decision here?
1: Well, you know, you got to do what you think is right at the time, and you can't second guess it. Um, I know Pat Riley was criticized when um, we got Shaq in 2003. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, 2004, after Dwayne Wade's rookie year. And, you know, we had to trade Karan Butler and different guys like that, uh, Lamar Odom. You know, we had the makings of a pretty good team. Now, I'm not sure that team could have ever won a championship. But it just shows you that when you have someone like Pat Riley, he's reaching for a championship. He just doesn't want to be good or very good, wants to be the best. So he traded for Shaq. And he got criticized for it. And then what happens a year, you know, the second year that Shaq's here, you know, in 2006, and with Dwayne Wade and Shaq and,
0: you and know, guys that we
1: had, you know, Alonzo morning off the bench and, um, you know, guys like that, we win the world championship. And, you know, so that was Riley's, Pat Riley's vision. And you sometimes you've got to take chances to do that. But it is very hard because you get emotionally involved with players. Um, you build, you know, I, how many times has the Heat uh, developed a player? And then he went on to be, have a really good career somewhere else, somewhere else and made a lot of money. Yeah. But we also got great stuff in return, too. We had a, you got to give to get. And so that's what Pat Riley did. So Ron calls
0: you one more time, and this time it, it might be on a cell phone. Okay, because it's uh, we're getting into the 2000s and the soul are being created and they need a coach. And What's that like? What's that call? (laughs) I couldn't even imagine. Hey, we're doing a WNBA expansion. Come back.
1: Well, you know, what's interesting is Randy Fund was a general manager and and Pat Riley had to hire a a coach for the soul and a general manager. And Randy Fund one day walked into our office and it was right after. Mike Fratello was let go in Cleveland as the head coach. Ron Rothstein was the assistant. And so I said to him, I said, Randy, I got your guy. I know who you should be, Ron Rothstein. And it's almost like a, a light bulb went off above his head because, you know, Pat Riley had a lot of respect for Ron. He had a coach against him. And so they hired Ron as the, the uh, general manager and coach. He asked me if I would switch over to the WNBA, okay. Um, I, my goal when 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 Pat Riley came, I sat down with him for 15 minutes and I told him my goal eventually was to be on TV with Eric. I wanted to be a color announcer with Eric. That was my eventual goal. And so after four years on his staff, 11 years as an MBA assistant, Ron Rothstein asked me to go to the WNBA for three years we didn't know how many years it was going to be. It wound up being three years. Um, I hesitated for a second because I, uh, I thought that Jack Ramsey was not going to continue for many years to be the color analyst on TV. But I also knew that um, I wanted to work with Ron again. And Ron brought me here and I had to be loyal to him. And so I switched over from being Pat Riley's, one of Riley, Pat Riley's assistants, to being the assistant coach with Jenny Busick with the WNBA team. And it was a great three years. It was an unbelievable experience. Ron was the coach and general manager. I truly believe that if we had one more summer, we had three years. Each year we got better. We got Ruth Riley the second year from yeah. championship, Notre Dame, 6'5". I truly believe that if we had one more summer, we would have won the WNBA championship. We had three first-round picks coming. We had two lottery picks coming. The following you had year,
0: a, you had a, uh, uh, I believe, a Russian player that was returning. Yeah, we
1: had a, Elena Buranova, six five, who was on the Russian Olympic team for for women. Um, great shooter, made the All Star team with us. Debbie Black, a great uh, crowd pleaser. She was a little, you know, I don't know, how, I don't know how tall she was, but she was very short. But they they called her the Tasmanian Devil. She once played <laughs> in Australia, and. We used, Ron used a line one time that I gave him. He said, uh, they asked him, why'd you give up? Why'd you, why'd you start not have practice today? He said, I wanted to give the floor a break from Debbie. <laughs> Cause all she did was dive after loose balls. She, Ron said for many years, now Ron Rossing coached guys like Isaiah Thomas, Joe Dumas Van uh, Beer, right? And Ron Rossing said the toughest player he ever coached was Debbie Black. <laughs> so we had a great three years. It was really very, very rewarding, very, very appreciative of the young ladies, young women working very hard to get better. And each year we did get better, and we, we would have, we would have really had a great shot of winning the WNBA championship if we had that fourth year.
0: Yeah, and it's funny how much politics and positioning and money play into the WNBA, almost a little bit more than the actual NBA. As we look around this year, you see teams having to make decisions uh between three, four, five players for one single roster spot uh the The e word gets thrown around a lot the the expansion word do Do you see it even as a possibility now in the current climate and how Miami is industrialized that that's something
1: that could return I don't know, you know it does come down to does it make money you yeah. Know? And, um, we, uh, I think this is true. We didn't have any corporate sponsorship that the Miami soul. It's
0: it's true. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so that, 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 you know, in pro sports, I don't think you can exist without that Where, wherever it is in any city, any sport, you got to have that corporate sponsorship. And so we had, I think we were in the middle of the pack with fans. We averaged about eight, 9,000 fans a game, which is pretty good. Um, We were right in the middle of the pack with 16 teams as far as attendance, I think. And um, we made the playoffs and all of that. Uh, But we were ready to take off, and then they disbanded the team. So that was unfortunate.
0: So you're you're there. You're (laughs) making what decisions in your mind? So the Soul were disbanded. You're calling the Heat again? Are you thinking about going back to uh, New York? Well, the Heat owned the Soul. Right.
1: So, the Heat was owned by by the Soul. So, I was technically still working for the Heat. And so, um, there was like a winter there when the Soul went bye bye. And then we were in the middle of an NBA season when that happened. That season went by. And then uh, I became the radio uh, uh, color analyst with Mike Inglis as a backup to Mike Fratello, who was also working with. TNT so Mike couldn't make all of the TV games so I was scheduled I think I did about 28 29 games that first year then the second year UB Brown resigns as the coach retires from coaching the Memphis Grizzlies in like in November when the season started and he recommends Mike Fratello to them they hire Mike Fratello so I moved into his seat on TV and then I was with Eric for 15 years.
0: Yeah, and the rest is history at that point. It right? worked
1: out. Yeah, it worked out.
0: What well, yeah. was it about color analyzing and, and being on radio or being on broadcast that like, drew you like a moth to a flame?
1: Well, when I was a high school coach in New York, in Mount Vernon, we, we played in the uh, tournament every year, the postseason. When, uh, there was a guy named Ron Seisler who started uh, uh, putting these games on radio. They weren't even done. You know, they were talking about, you know, the the, the mid 1980s the early 1980s and so when i what my team wasn't playing he had me do the color and i i realized how much i liked it i didn't realize i liked it and it was natural for me so when i came to the heat i miami heat in the nba i didn't want to be a coach that went from city to city that's what a lot of coaches do to stay in the business they 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 go with four five six different teams you know, they may be with a team for two, three years, then they move on to another team. Move on. I didn't want to do that. I really, I really enjoyed Miami. I liked the organization. I wanted to stay. And then I knew I enjoyed announcing. People don't remember, but Eric Reed, the first three years of the franchise, was the color analyst. He wasn't the play-by-play announcer. Sam Smith was the play-by-play announcer. Eric came here as the color announcer with the idea that one day he would be the play-by-play announcer. So after three years, he then became the play-by-play announcer. And they needed a color announcer. So what they did was they had Dave Wall do it. He was the other assistant with me on the first staff. He did did that, and I became the, the, uh, the scouting coordinator. I went out and scouted the opponent. Okay, so eventually it worked out. It came back to me after eight years with Jack Ramsey. Ed Pickney did it for a year, and then Mike Fratello did it for one year plus that month. And then eventually I got to do it. So that was where it all originated with Ron Seisler.
0: You, you keep touching on these aspects of, and I think it's interesting because it's Udonis Haslam culture day. I'm, I'm dubbing this Udonis Hasm culture day of loyalty and um, maintaining and trying to build and grow you, your work that you do with the junior MBA and, and transitioning and trying to help grow and, and mentor youth. How much of your history plays
1: into that? Well, work, you know, the, 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 what they did was, after 15 years of working with Eric, they wanted to help promote more community stuff. So they started the Junior Heat Program a year or two before I uh, wasn't announcing anymore. And they put me at the head of it, so to speak, because of my background. Um, uh, I've I've been running camps the heat camp since pat riley came i had my own camp before pat riley came we had rosteens camp way back then we had you know when then when pat riley came he wanted to have a miami heat camp so we had we were up to eight weeks of summer and then we started a winter camp and a spring camp so we had 10 weeks of camp going i was running those camps um i still do we had to put it on hold with the covid but we're going to get back to it now this summer and um, they have clinics for kids like that. We were going into the classrooms to speak to junior high kids. And what I asked, what I told them I'd like to do when they told me that we're going to move you into the community, uh, do community work, was let's start an anti-bullying campaign, which we have started. We've done that. So we, we you know, I was a teacher for 15 years before I came here. And I know what, what bullying is like in the schools. And it could be, it could be really de- devastating, demoralizing for kids. And so we started an anti-bullying campaign last year, and then we had to put it on hold because of COVID. We're going to start, it's going to kick in again in September. So the goal is to do maybe a clinic a month when the team's away during the season and go to the practice court to do it. We did some before the COVID. Um, have, the heat, have the camps again, which we're going to have, and then get into as many middle schools as we can, maybe elementary schools, and, and get this anti-bullying campaign going again. And uh, me being a former teacher, um, I have a graduate degree in guidance counseling okay I, and i've been you know I've been working with youth my whole adult life, so this is a, a natural segue for me for me to to, to get into this full time. I really miss announcing and working with Eric, but I also enjoy doing what I'm doing now because it's meaningful stuff in the community, and I really relate to kids. I love talking to kids i I miss. Being around the kids in the camp, because we have what we do at the camp is that we don't just teach basketball skills, we teach life skills. And every day if you come to camp, you get a quote from someone. It could be anybody in history, it doesn't have to be a sports person. We've given out quotes from Socrates to Aristotle to Colin Powell, um, you know, and then obviously we've given out uh, quotes from Pat Riley, Ron Rossi, Eric Spolster, Dwayne Wade. Okay, the, the 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 Tom Brady, you know. It, I'm, I'm, in fact, this morning I was working on making up some new quotes. New quotes. quotes. Yeah. So we give them a sheet with the picture of the person who's making the quote, and then I ask them that. And when I give it out at the end of the day, I ask them, "Look, I want you to read the quote. If you want to, go over it with your mom and dad or older brother and sister, and I want you to look up the person who made the quote." Because you should know. That's how you learn. And so the next morning when they come in, that's one of the first things we do when we meet is we go over the quote. Well, we also give out skill sheets, fast shooting, dribbling, pad, all that stuff. But my favorite part of the camp is when we teach about life skills, about please, thank you, uh, proper, proper way to carry yourself. And now we've incorporated the last couple of years the kindness program that we have with the anti-bullying. And how, what are some ways that you could be kind to people? Very simple things that you can do by learning their name and be just being nice to people and all that kind of stuff. And it all plays in. And the parents really uh, appreciate that because we have a captive audience. And so we don't want to just teach basketball. And one of the great quotes that I love by Magic Johnson, and I use it in every class that we go to for bullying, anti bullying. We just had a clinic about a month ago in Miami. Magic Johnson said, you don't have to be magic to be special, you're already special, you're you. And when you think about that, there's seven billion people in the world, there's only one you. That's pretty, that's pretty interesting when you look at it from that point of view. And I'm not sure, it's, I think sometimes kids don't get enough positive reinforcement about themselves, about who they are. And so that's part of we, what we feel is our job in the community. Through our clinics, through our basketball camps, and through our anti-bullying campaign, so I feel very good that even though I misannounced, it, I feel very good that we're doing a lot of good stuff in the community.
0: Yeah, I think there's no doubt about that. That being a touchstone, it, it would it would have been invaluable. I think you guys are still calling it the Youth Empowerment Program.
1: Yeah, that that was my those were my phrase that was my phrase to call it that. Um, yeah, and we use that. I use that a little bit when we when we go to the schools. We bring the championship trophy with us. Of course. Okay? And yes. I, yeah, and I say us, you know, you got Julian Sanchez and Santi Echeverria. They're really good. They're they're the they're the they're the nuts and bolts of this. They're in the they're in the arena every day and they're they're preparing and they're they're setting up these dates to go to these schools. And um we bring uh we give them something. We, we have they have a giveaway, maybe they get a heat album or they get something. Um he stays, uh, Julian speaks for a minute or two, five minutes. Then I speak to them. Then they can take a picture with the championship ball. They can take a picture with the championship ring. Okay, there you go. Um, and so we try, you know, and, and, and the Miami Heat obviously is a big name in the community. There's a lot of Heat fans out there, especially, um, that's why I'm anxious to get back into the classrooms, because especially after being in the finals last year,
0: yeah. You know, a lot of Dwayne gross.
1: Wade retired. Everybody knows who Dwayne Wade is and they were attracted to the heat because of Dwayne Wade. And then he leaves and we get into the finals again with Jimmy Butler and Bam and those guys. So, uh, there's a connection there. So you got, you got an instant attraction when you go to the school at the end of the day and they pay attention. And so it's really cool. I, I really enjoy it. You know, those guys do a great job. Jeff Craney is the guy that, was at the head of the whole thing. And then these guys are the core workers. And, and I come in and I do my little simple thing, but it's, uh, it works really well.
0: You maybe don't tell the kids the if you want to win as much as you want to breathe story. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. That was, that's a great story about um, when Pat, when I was on Pat Riley's staff, he liked stories that motivated kids and um, you know, motivated his team. And there was a story I I read about this old coach was sitting on a porch on a hill. And this kid goes walking up to the coach. The guy was a former very successful football coach. And the kid walks up to the, goes up to the porch. He said, coach, can I talk to you for a minute? He says, I don't understand. You know, we haven't won a game in two years. How come we can't win? And he said, come with me. And he took him down to the lake. He said, kneel down, kid. knelt down. He put the kid's head under the water. And he kept it there and he kept it there and finally lifted it up. And the kid goes, he goes, when you want to win as badly as you wanted that breath of fresh air, that's when you'll win. Well, don't you know that year of the lockout, there was a year to lockout where we had a play. It was 2000. It was a uh, 1998 99. And we had, a, we had a play. They brought back three nights in a row. We had a play. They did away with it for a while. Now they brought it back for that one year. To make up the games because we started late. So we won the first two games. Now we're in Detroit playing three nights in a row. Pat Riley tells him that story. So we go out and we beat Detroit three nights in a row. We, 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 we win the third game. We come back into the locker room. Tim Hardaway's got his foot in the bucket, his eye, he's icing his, his ankle. Pat Riley says to them, Remember the story about the bucket? And the guy about the about the kid in the lake. He goes, "See?" Yeah. he goes, Tim, put your head in the bucket. Tim goes, I'm not putting my head in that bucket. Uh, Zoe, Alonzo Mournick, put your head in head. I'm not. Pat Riley kneels down and he puts his head in the bucket. And there you got 12 players, 14 players, whatever. You got coaches in their suits. You got a couple of uh, uh, trainers in there. And we're all just standing there watching Pat Riley with his head in the bucket. And I'm telling you, it took so long. I was getting worried about him. He didn't move. It seemed forever. Then finally he lifts his head up and he pulls his hair back. And goes, ah, isn't yeah, it of course. Okay, <laughs> and so that that's the bucket story. And that, it, it was. And the guys all started cheering. You know, it was, it was, it was really exciting. It was cool. It was cool stuff. They got, you know, arguably the greatest coach of of all time in any sport, the dapper Pat Riley, and he's. He's all soaking wet because all the water got on his shirt. So it was pretty cool. It was a good moment.
0: But he still spent the time to slick the hair back. He still oh, yeah. he had, oh, to. Yeah. He
1: had to go talk to the media. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, Tony, man, thank you so much for spending this time with me and sharing a couple stories.
1: It's my pleasure, Tony. I really enjoy it. Uh, I want to remind people that I have a, uh, a website that they may want to go to, not just basketball.com. Um, I've got, 40 tips on there. Some of them are funny. Some I've got quotes, funny quotes from different people in sports and what have you. But I also have some a lot of meaningful things that they can learn. There's, there's some things in there for coaches. I also have an anti-bullying thing in there, an anti-bullying page. And I've got a ton of pictures. They're going to really enjoy the pictures. Um, you know, there, there's a, a, I did a verbal thing, introduction when you go to it. And in the background is Chris Bosh getting the rebound. In Game Six against San Antonio, getting ready to pass it out to Ray Allen in that right corner for the jumper. You know, so there's a lot of good stuff in the website, not just basketball. AllOneWord.com, and then I got my my website, uh, my, uh, my not my website. The uh, the um, uh, what am I trying to say? The when you can go on Twitter. Twitter is what I'm trying to say. Okay, you go gotcha, on gotcha. Tony Heat, three XWC, three times world champion. Tony Heat 3XWC. If you want to go on Twitter and follow me on Twitter. Um, it's it's really, I really enjoy that. You know, Tony,
0: uh, Tony's ahead of the curve here with the media game. I didn't even have to tell him to plug. He just started plugging. <laughs> he knows.
1: Now I'm also on Facebook. So, you know, it, it sounds like I know what I'm talking about with all of these different gadgets. <laughs> but uh, I needed you to get on Zoom today. Are you kidding? <laughs>
0: We did it though. We're here. Just like your career, man. We're here. Um, I appreciate everybody listening. Make sure you like comment, subscribe. All of it helps me a ton. Uh, Follow five region sports network. There's a lot of great people doing a lot of great work there. Tony, I hope you have a good rest of your day, man.
1: Yeah. Anytime Tony. And uh, maybe people want to see that ring again, that ring one more time, the back to back.